This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passages for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the fall of 2022, we'll be looking at Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah. And I'm Dwayne McCreary, your host, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston. Mike's part of the editorial team that creates and works on these resources, and Mike's going to be joining us for these first four weeks as we look at Amos. So, Mike, you're kind of the authority on Amos for us this quarter. Oh, well, thanks. I'm glad to be able to do this. Thank you. Um, we're going to begin session one. We're going to be looking at chapter two, verses four through 16. The title of the lesson is Listen to God, and the summary statement is that God's judgment awaits all who ignore him and his truth. The outline follows these three breaks, wrongs reviewed, history relived, and judgment reckoned. That first section, wrongs reviewed, looks at verses four through eight of chapter two. And in these verses, Amos identified various sins of Judah and Israel that were causes for them to experience God's judgment. The point for us is that God expects his people to live a life of obedience that reflects his character. The second point, history relived, looks at verses 9 through 11 of chapter 2. In these verses, God reminds Israel and Judah of his actions on their behalf, especially providing them the promised land. He notes that Israel was committing the very crimes of the Amorites. And those were the people God had removed from the promised land to make room for the Israelites. Amos also points to God providing prophets so the people would know his expectations and serve him alone. The focus here for us is that believers should recount God's grace in their lives, responding with obedience. The last section, judgment reckoned, verses 12 through 16. In these verses, Amos stated that Israel and Judah chose to ignore God's prophets and in fact tried to silence them. God's judgment would come in response. And then Amos presented seven images that indicated God's judgment would be complete and applied to all. Main point in this section is that only through God's grace will a person escape God's complete judgment. Now, Mike, we're starting with chapter two because we're focusing on chapters one and two in this first lesson. Uh, but let, let's uh, think through some background mm -hmm. about Amos that, that may help us kind of mm -hmm. get started here. Okay. <clears throat> well, everything we know about Amos, the man, <clears throat> Amos, the prophet, is, is <clears throat> what we know from the book that, that bears his name. Unlike, um, un unlike other prophets like Jonah, for example, who's mentioned back in second kings you know we learned something about him in other places but for amos everything we know about amos the man we know from his book and the book tells us very little about amos the man and his personal life <clears throat> we do know um that he he lived and ministered in the eighth century just like hosea micah jonah isaiah and that was a time of, of unprecedented prosperity, uh, as well as spiritual apathy, moral decay, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. 
And uh, like Hosea, uh, his contemporary Hosea, uh, Amos ministered in the northern kingdom during the reigns of Jeroboam II in Israel and uh, Uzziah in, in Judah. <clears throat> we know a little bit, um, we know that his name, for example, we know his, um, the name Amos comes from a verb that means to load or to carry a load or carry a burden or something like that. And, uh, you know, we know that names usually have significance in, in scripture. Like uh, you think of the names of, of Hosea's children, for example, you know, they, they had significance. And, and Amos's name probably does as well. Uh, it, it, his name might suggest that he carried a burden. He carried this, this burden for, for the people that he preached to. Um, or the name may have been one given to Amos by those that he preached to because he was a burden to them. He was, he was, he was, a, he was a pain to them. So they, they, they may have given him this name. It, it, they, it may have been something like, here comes Amos, that pain in the neck, you know, to burden us more. <laughs> it, it's possible it could have been something like that. But another possible meaning to his name is, is one who is sustained by God, one who is supported by God. That's another possible meaning. And Amos would have known that to be true. Um, when he faced opposition to his preaching, he, he would have known uh, that God, uh, God sustained him during that time. Um, <clears throat> now, the first verse of Amos tells us something about, uh, about him, that he was a sheep breeder or a shepherd, depending on what translation you're looking at. He was a shepherd or a sheep breeder from Tekoa which was about 10, 11 miles from Jerusalem, about five miles south of Bethlehem. Now, it's common for, for us to think of Amos as a poor shepherd who tended other people's sheep. That, that is maybe the most common way that people think of him. Um, but it's more likely that he was a sheep breeder. He raised sheep rather than just tending to other people's sheep, that he raised sheep. He bred sheep. <clears throat> because the word that's used in that first verse, that translated shepherd um, in some translations, is not the common word for shepherd. There's only one other place in scripture where that word is used, and it's in 2 Kings 3, 4, and it's used uh, of the king of Moab who supplied the king of Israel with large quantities of sheep and wool. So there, apparently, the term refers to one who raises sheep, and, and that's the term that's used for, for Amos in the first verse of the book. And we can learn a little bit more about him in, in chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, more about him and his call um, <clears throat> to, to prophesy. Uh, Amos said over there in, in chapter 7, verse 14, I was not a prophet or a son of the prophet, rather I was a herdsman, and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said, go prophesy to my people Israel. Uh, so he wasn't a, a full-time preacher. He wasn't a professional prophet as others were in his time. Uh, he was a lay person. You might say he was bivocational. Uh, he either owned or managed a sheep breeding business. Um, so here's a man who just gets up and he goes to work every day um, doing his business, building his business, and, and God speaks to him and tells him he wants him to, to leave his home in, um, in Judah and go to the northern kingdom to preach God's word to Israel. And like those, um, like the first disciples of Jesus who, who walked away from their fishing nets, you know, there, there was nothing extraordinary about Amos himself. Uh, it's just his willingness to obey God. So I think there's something in his background that's, that's significant, that, that reminds us 
of the kind of person that God calls, the kind of person God uses. God calls people from all kinds of backgrounds to serve him. And they may not be the most gifted, they may not be the most talented, but all through scripture, we see God doing just extraordinary things through the most ordinary people who are simply willing to obey. And, and I think it's true that many of us uh, might say, or we think, uh, feel that we're, we're really not adequate to do what God's called us to do. I know I feel that way <laughs> much of the time. And, and the truth is we, we're all inadequate um, to do this work. But Jesus said, and Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, so, so, you know, the key is that he's the one who makes us effective, makes what we do effective. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think there are some, some important lessons um, in all of that for us. When we were looking at the first section where Amos lists some things that were obviously wrong in the community, selling of sandals, a needy person sandals, Mm -hmm. uh, obstructing the path of the of the needy, the moral laxity, all the things that are listed, uh, it would make sense that that somebody like Amos would be a person who could address that because he was your regular everyday person who saw it uh, yeah. in his community, right. and so that makes sense to me. But yeah. I do mention those things here, Mike, in in verses uh, six through eight. Those things like they're obvious things to me, particularly the one about a man and his father having sexual relationship with the same girl. I mean, that doesn't seem to be something that would go unnoticed in most communities. How did that happen here? Yeah, let's, let's think about the context here for a minute. You're, you're referring to chapter two, verses six through eight, basically uh -huh. those sins that you list. Uh, yeah, so let's think about those verses in, in the context of the whole message that Amos preaches here. Um, from most, you know, commentators that I've looked at consider from, you know, chapter one, verse three, through chapter two, verse, verse 16, to be one message. Okay, this, so this is, one, this is just part of a larger message that Amos is preaching. If you go all the way back, you know, look, look at the whole message. It's, it's, a, it's a message of eight oracles against the nations, against Israel's neighbors. Well, the first six are against Israel's neighbors. Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. And then the seventh is against Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, we've got to remember, who is Amos talking to? Who is he preaching to? He's not preaching to those neighbors, those other nations. He's not talking to them. He's not even addressing Judah in this, in this message. He's addressing Israel. Now, he's from Judah, though, right? He's from Judah, but he's, yeah. he's addressing Israel. Uh, and so as Amos's Israelite audience is, as they're listening to his message and, you know, they've got to be happy. They've got to be pleased to hear about God's judgment coming on these other nations. You know, when, when, when Amos says in verse two of chapter two, um, you know, God says, I will send fire against Moab, you know, you know, it was like, preach it brother. You know, they, you know, they, <laughs> they, they like that. They like that. And then even when, when Amos says in verse five, I'll send fire against Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, they probably were not unhappy to hear that because there's this history of animosity and hostility between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So again, you know, like preach it. Um, and, and normally the seventh, Judah was the seventh, seventh nation mentioned. And normally the seventh nation would have been the last in, in the common way of thinking that would have been last, the last one. 
since seven usually symbolizes completion in the scripture. So when he gets to number seven, number seven is Judah, and they think, well, that's the climax. That's it. Uh, he's done. And so they're, you know, thinking that was a great sermon because generally we, we like talking about other people's sins, you know. And so there's probably, you know, they probably applauding what he said to this point, but he's not finished. And he takes them by surprise because there's, there's an eighth nation on the list, and it's Israel. In verse six, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel. You know, and that totally took them by surprise because um, they were they were they would not have expected that for numerous reasons. Now, you know, reasons why I think your question is, you know, why would th these sins not be obvious to them? Why would they have gone unnoticed? Well, I think the people he's he's talking to here. Um, first of all, they they didn't think they had done anything wrong. Obviously, they didn't see anything wrong with what they're doing. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, they were going through all the motions of, of worship. They were, they, were, they were religious in that sense that they were doing religious things and doing more than what was required. And we'll see more of this next week. We get into chapter four, how the law stated that they were to bring their tithes from the produce every three years, but they were doing that every three days. Um, <clears throat> so there, were, there was a lot of religious activity going on. And so they must have thought that, you know, that they're, you know, God's pleased with us. Look, we're bringing our tithes. We're bringing our offerings. We're doing more than, than what the law says. But it was all just very superficial. And also, here's, here's another part of that, is that they were living in, in a time of, prosper, of great prosperity, similar to, to how it was in the days of Solomon. And, and in Jewish thinking, in Jewish theology, um, they would have equated prosperity with God's blessings, like today. So, yeah. See, so we see how how this is relevant today. That kind of thinking. So Israel interpreted its prosperity as a sign of God's favor, and as a confirmation of their lives and, and their practices and how they were living. So as long as the people were enjoying health and wealth, they were sure that God was pleased with them. But the message of the prophets is that, hey, you're using the wrong measuring stick. If you want to evaluate how you're doing, how, how you stand with God, you're using the wrong measuring stick because it's neither our religious activity nor our prosperity, but it's rather God's word that's the measuring stick to evaluate our lives. And, and in verse four, Amos said of Judah, and we, you know, and this would have been true of Israel as well, he said they rejected God's word in their hearts. And, you know, the, the consistent message of God's word from the law to the prophets to the gospel gospels is that God measures our loyalty to him by how we relate to the poor and the oppressed. So that, you know, they were just they were measuring how they were doing by the wrong with the wrong measuring sticks. Well, you know, we're religious. Um, everything's good. You know, there's food on the table. You know, life is good. So it's all good. So it's about the same way we are today in some cases. Yeah, you see that you see how this is so relevant <laughs> today, right? where we are today, yeah. In verses 9 through 11, Amos reviews the history of Judah and Israel and how God worked in the past. Uh, he's mo mostly focusing on moving them from Egypt to the promised land. Mm -hmm. But why is it important for us to remember how God has worked in the past? Yeah, you know, this passage, th these verses, um, 
chapter in chapter two, verses nine and following is, is where we're looking. It, it's a whole lot like um, Hosea uh, eleven one through five. Well, and you know we'll get to Hosea later on in this study. <clears throat> but remember, Hosea was a contemporary of Amos. They preached during the same time period, mm-hmm. both both to Israel. But in Hosea 11, you, you got this passage that you know God says of Israel, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And I, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, and taking him by the hand, I led him, and I bent down and gave him food. Yet, he says, my people are bent on turning from me. You know, same, so same, same thing here. Amos is reminding them of what God has done for them. Uh, how God destroyed their enemies when they entered Canaan. He delivered them from slavery, led them through the wilderness, made his presence known every step of the way, uh, gave them this land flowing with milk and honey, gave them, he says, gave them spiritual leaders like, you know, the prophets, such as Amos, the Nazarites, who um, were leaders in a different sense. They communed a, a message of devotion, not so much by what they said, but how they lived. And then you get, in that way, they were kind of a, a living sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get to that, the end of this list of all the things that God has done for them. You get to the end of the list in verse 11, and God asked the question through Amos, is, is this not the case, Israelites? Is, isn't this the case? Isn't this what I've done for you? In, in other words, Israel couldn't plead ignorance when it came to, to this history of what God had done for them. They knew what God had done for them. So, um, yeah, it, it's important to remember your question. Is Why is it important to remember? Because seeing what God has done for us, seeing God's grace. And, and here's, a, here's a quote from the, from the study guide. Seeing God's grace should make one want to sin um, less, not more. So, uh, I think the actual quote is, should not make one want to sin more but less. Seeing God's grace. God's grace is is not a a license to sin more, but when we see how much God has done for us, it should make us want to sin less. Paul would have echoed that in Romans 6 when he talks about grace and folks saying, well, if that's the way grace works, then I should sin more so I have more grace. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. It should make you, as you stated, my be more interested in pleasing him and less interested in pleasing yourself at that point. Um, Amos talks about the Nazarites and the prophets. They're trying to keep them quiet. Do Mm -hmm. not prophesy. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, encouraging the Nazarites to break their vows, those kind of things. How might in our culture today, we do the same kind of thing of silencing prophets we're removing those symbols like the Nazarites. And how would what we do con- today compare to what was being done in Amos's day? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certainly this, um, what Amos is referring to here is not the only time this has happened of trying to silence God's prophets or those who speak his word. Um, there's there's, uh, there's a passage on, in Isaiah chapter 30, who also, remember, he's also an 8th century prophet. In Isaiah 30, uh, around verse 10, it, it says, They say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things, tell, or tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. That's what the people were saying. 
You know, in other words, they were, they were saying to the prophets, don't tell us what's right. Just tell us nice things. Tell we, us we would rather we'd rather hear a lie than we would the truth. Yeah. And that's exactly what it said in, in Isaiah 30, 10. Don't, you know, don't tell us what's right. Just tell us lies because we'd rather hear that. Um, and that's what's happening to Amos, more or less. Um, when, when over again, over in chapter seven of Amos, when Amaziah, the, the prophet, you know, Amaziah, the prophet confronted Amos and basically said to him, Amos, go home, just, just go away. <laughs> and that's, that's what he said, go away. Um, because they don't want to hear God's message. So, so yeah, this, this is, this is nothing new and, and, and people still want to silence those who speak God's word uh in a way that they don't want to hear and and we you know we do sometimes people do try to silence god's spokesperson by by discredit discrediting that person um <clears throat> which is what jesus's enemies did to him they tried to discredit him discredit his message um you know so many you know play you know we could quote a number of places where you know the the Jews said, you know, aren't we right in saying you're just you're just a Samaritan? You have a demon, and you know, they made all these accusations against him. Or the Pharisees said, you know, this man can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Um, <clears throat> or when they brought him before Pilate and they started to, to accuse him, and they said that we f we found this man to be misleading our nation, and he's he's opposing paying taxes to Caesar, and he's saying that he himself is the king. Um, so yeah, they're trying, they're, they're finding ways or, you know, reasons to accuse him. It, you know, if they'd had social media back in those days, they would have been searching Twitter, uh, his Twitter account to see if they could find anything to use against him. And that's, that's kind of the thing that, you know, that you see them doing, um, <clears throat> not unheard of today, uh, <laughs> or, or we do, or we do what, um, what Paul, um, talked about, talked about when he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, when he said people, you know, they're just, they'll just look for preachers who tell them what they want to hear. You know, they, you know, if you don't, if they don't like what you're saying, well, let us go, they're going to find preachers or teachers who will just tell them what, what they, what they want to hear, <clears throat> which is what we uh, said, you know, was happening in Isaiah's day as well. The end of this section, beginning in verse 14, we start seeing a list of people who would not escape. We see the swift, the strong, uh, the, the warrior, uh, the person on a horse, the, um, the most courageous. That's just a few of the things listed there. What's the significance of the listing that's provided here of those who would not escape? Yeah, there's, there's seven terms here, seven people or seven terms um, described there. And they're all, it's all military. It's military terminology, military people who, who would have represented the best of the best. They, they would have represented the, the swiftest of the swift, the strongest of the strong, the bravest of the brave. So the significance here is it's, it's no matter who you are, you can't escape it. No matter how fast you think you can run, you can't outrun God. Um, you know, in some, you know, in battle, these things are important, you know, because these, these are military terms. So when you go into battle, you know, speed's important, strength, courage, that's all important. But those things would not be enough to rescue Israel from, from the imminent judgment of God. So when the time of judgment comes, and I, I think the meaning here is that when the time of judgment comes, 
you can't save yourself. No matter how, no matter who you are, no matter you know what you do, you can't save yourself when the time of judgment comes. Mike, you, we uh, first began our podcast today with thinking about an introduction to Amos. One thing I'd like to point out to the folks today is the use of pack item 12. It lists New Testament references for Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah. And there are two listed for Amos. Amos chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, and then Amos 9, 11 through 12. When we're introducing our study of Amos, there may be some people think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Why am I concerned about studying a book like Amos and small Old Testament book, a shepherd, a grower of figs? Those two passages, the Amos 5 and Amos 9, we find them quoted. Amos 5 is quoted by Stephen as he's being stoned, or he's actually defending himself to the Sanhedrin, which will lead to his stoning. And the second passage, the Amos 9 passage, is also found in Acts 15. And James quotes that passage when uh, presenting an argument at the Jerusalem Council for Gentiles to be included in, uh, in salvation, in the redemptive plan. So both of these verses are significant in the, the fact that both Stephen and James, uh, both of whom will be executed for their belief in Christ, quote those verses from Amos uh, in their arguments uh, for salvation. So I think we point that, we show item 12, we point that to, and we'll be looking at the Amos 9 passage specifically when we get to session four, and we'll talk more about that here in a few more weeks, Mike, but that's one way to help folks understand the importance of this particular study of the book of Amos. Mike, are there any other key thoughts or ideas you would have about session one? Um yeah, you know, I, we started when I started, I, I was talking about, you know, the, the first verse or two of the book, you know, mm -hmm. the introduction. I, I think that verse two of chapter one just it, it sets the theme for the whole study, for the whole book of Amos. So let me just go back to that verse just for a second. It, it, it presents God. It pictures that verse pictures God as a roaring lion who makes his voice heard. The Lord roars from Zion. He makes his voice heard from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up. The top of Carmel withers. <clears throat> so that's, that's how the book begins. He, God is a roaring lion who makes his voice heard. Now, <clears throat> I, I don't know how much you know about a lion's roar. It's really, really loud. <laughs> I, can, I can remember being, when I was in when I lived in Africa, I, I can remember being uh, waking up, woken during the night by a lion's roar. And I mean, it shook the windows. A lion's roar uh, is, is um, like 114 decibels, I've read. It's 114 decibels, which would be near the decibel level of a jackhammer. And on the African plain, you can hear a lion's roar five miles away. So, <clears throat> hey, when, when it says that God is like a roaring lion. That's saying something, okay? It's a, a lion roars. It, when a lion roars, he's not just showing off, right? There's a reason. I mean, he, he's communicating something. And when a lion roars, everyone takes notice. Whether you're a lowly warthog or a stately giraffe, when a lion roars, you pay attention. 
And the idea here set from at the very beginning of the book is, is that this is a message. Amos's message is a message that comes from God. God makes his word known. God's word is a powerful word. And it even talks about the impact of his word and the power of his word. It can make the pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Mount Carmel withers um, through, through his word. So when God speaks, we better pay attention. And God is still speaking through this word today. He's still speaking his word um, given to Amos today. And that word is that God takes sin seriously. And that he is calling individuals, he's calling nations back to him. Uh, it's a very powerful word. It's a very relevant word. And, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do um, in this, this study, this quarter of, of Amos and these other prophets. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to get into this, this quarter. Good. Mike's going to be with us again next week. We'll be looking at session two. We'll be looking at Amos chapter four, verses one through 13. And the main idea there is that God seeks his people, holding them accountable for how they respond to him. But I want to remind you out there who's listening today that from time to time, we mention different resources in the Explore the Bible family. We mentioned the leader pack today, but you also will hear us talk about the commentary, quick source, data discipleship guide, personal study guide, other things. You can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. We want to thank you for listening to us this week, and we we'll hope you join us next week as we continue our study of the book of Amos. Thank you.